Conversations in Society. We talk racism, culture, politics and economics, the issues that matter to you. Welcome to Conversations in Society. Today, we're really excited to be talking to Femi Oluwole about the voting system, all to do with the upcoming May Oral and Police and Crime Commissioner elections on the 6th of May. So um, my name is Geetha and um, I'm one of the co-founders of In Society. And this is... I'm Daniil, also a co-founder. So thank you for joining us, Femi. Pleasure to be here. How are you doing, Femi? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm great. Lockdown's amazing. It's good to be in a pandemic. <laughs> and that's how you start an episode. <laughs> Absolutely. I think um, and many people will either agree or disagree with you there. <laughs> so um, we know that the mayor elections or some of us may know that the elections are voting systems done a little bit differently. So um, why is that and what are the different systems in comparison to the general elections? Uh, so local election primarily takes place based on first past the post just like um, the general election but with much much smaller constituencies broken down into wards um, and uh, how first past the post basically means that in any given area any given constituency whichever party or candidate comes first is the party that is the is the candidate that basically wins for that constituency or ward um, the problem with that is that it means that all the votes for the parties for the candidates of other parties simply don't count and once you start to scale that up across the country you get into the stage where millions of votes mean literally nothing and and so why is it that the two elections have got different ones so why don't we use the uh, kind of mayor election system in the general election yeah with a mayoral election they use um the supplementary vote whereby basically you have two stages um you have a stage where you can vote for whoever you want and the second stage where if you uh, they basically take the top candidates and they vote between them uh, how, unless one of the candidates has previously got a full majority, so more than 50%. Now, it would be better to use that system at the, at the, at the national level because it would, it would mean at the very least you would ensure that whoever uh, gets to be candidate, the MP for any given constituency, is at least the preferred choice of everyone in that constituency. Uh, but we don't have that. Um, uh, we use first past the post just to, across the board yeah. um, in general elections. Now, there is only one other country that, in Europe that uses that system. It's Belarus, which is often referred to as Europe's last dictatorship. Wow. Goodness. What a nickname. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a question for you. Um, I just want to discuss why do we have so many different voting systems? You know, we have so many, but we only use two. Am I correct? Am I not correct? Why do we have so many? Uh, why do so many exist? Yeah. Uh, because d democracy is obviously, you've got to somehow get the views of uh, millions of people all into one chamber. And so it's all, there are always going to be many different ways of doing that. For example, Germany, they actually use the two different systems for the same house. So they'll use half, half of the parliament will be filled up 
using first past the post. The other half will be filled up using proportional representation. Hmm. In the UK, obviously, we use first past the post. In Scotland, they use uh, with the Scottish Parliament, they use something closer to proportional representation. That's the problem. Ultimately, the, the system we've got now is pretty undemocratic. Yeah. And there's been a lot of um, campaigns I've seen anyway in regards to the way that we vote today uh, nationally. How do we, as as a democracy, and of course with the parliament, how do we even start to bring that conversation to a point where we actually look at the systems? Because this is not new. These campaigns are not new, but we haven't changed. And I don't think we've seen a lot of conversation in House of Parliament in regards to changing the voting systems. So in law, there is uh, there are, most countries have rules against monopolies when it comes to business. So you can never have one business having con- total control over the market and basically shutting everybody out. So for example, uh, often Google faces um, complaints and gets sued because they'll basically uh, tailor their search engine so it only gives products that basically Google part owns, that sort of thing. Um, and they also have laws against duopolies, whereby basically you have concerted practices between the two biggest um, businesses in an in arena. Unfortunately, we don't have that sort of protection with our democracy. Right. So the the two big parties, um, Labour and the Conservatives, they don't believe it's in their interest to change the system. Uh, and the system will only change if the leading party decides for it to change. Um, because they think that, I mean, if you look at the maths of the situation, um, Labour got 32% of the vote and got 31% of the seats. So they're they're sitting pretty comfortably as our votes match our seats. Yeah. Whereas the Conservatives are sitting at 44% of the vote and 56% of the seats. Wow. So they get actually they get 20% more seats than they should actually get if they were if it was proportional. And by virtue of that, they're able to actually get a supermajority, i.e. get 56% of the seats, even though the majority voted against them. Yeah. So they have absolute power, mm. even though the country on the whole rejected them. Now, that's a situation that, to a certain extent, benefits both parties. And so the parties that it doesn't benefit, they're not in power to change anything. And that's why we, even though there have been campaigns to try and change this, yeah. you haven't seen that much movement from the main parties. And in fact, the Lib Dems, when they finally got a sniff of power, they tried to bring about that sort of change, to bring about proportional representation, whereby seats match votes, everyone's vote counts equally. Unfortunately, uh, when they were in coalition in 2010, uh, they only managed to, essentially their, their proposals got watered down something called alternative voting, the AV system. And then we had, an, we had a referendum on AV rather than PR, proportional representation. Uh, yeah. Now, the problem with that is AV is um, basically a, a, another preferential system, similar, similar to what we have with the mayoral elections, whereby basically you... But in this one, you give two choices. Everybody puts down two choices. And if you're... They, they count up all the first choices. Yeah. And then... If and then they see who comes first, first and second, and then they take your second choice and then add that if you haven't voted for one of the first choices. Yeah. Um, and and that's and, and that's how that works. Uh, unfortunately, that often gets used because that essentially the referendum lost, and we basically voted to keep the one we currently have. Yeah. That thing, that referendum then gets used as an argument to say, well, we've already voted on electoral reform. We don't need to do it again. And so, and that 
message, that propaganda is pushed out largely by elements within the top, the, the reigning parties, because it's in their interest to keep things as they are. Or at least they believe it so. Yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting that you said that because when I was looking at the kind of manifestos, general election manifestos, it's interesting when you have like the minor, the, the smaller parties, um, like the Green Party, Lib Dem, they're the ones who've put in, we want to change the, um, uh, the system. And uh, not only that, they've spoken about the House of Lords and other kind of elements yeah. that mostly benefit Conservative and Labour's um, MPs. And I think it's really, really interesting because... Um, for for me when i'm looking at voting um i only really see that it's if you vote for anyone but the two main parties you are basically going against your own interests because if i for example see that labor aligns with myself more or conservative lines with me more if i if i don't vote for that person then it means that the, the other parties are much less likely to become that's a reality that the in the kind of system that they that we work with they're much less likely to get it and that doesn't mean that people if people choose to as we are non-partisan if people choose to um vote for other parties it's their choice but i think it is really difficult then because you're choosing you're forced to choose essentially between them and if you don't it just kind of goes by the wayside um and do you think there ever will be a time that particularly because i think conservatives especially in recent years, have had majority, have basically been elected for the past 10 years. And so they've got no incentive to really take the, a new system because the system works for them. But equally, Labour kind of benefits off the system too, even if they don't get elected as prime minister. So do you think there is, do you think Labour um, or any of the other parties will be successful in kind of changing the system or even want to in the first place? So that's why I was a bit more softer in my idea of the that the the, uh, the current system is in the interest of the current two main parties because for Labour they think it's in their interest but it's really not. They think that the, by this first past the post system they can get a majority again. They would think back to the Blair years from 1997. Mm. He managed to get a, a full majority of MPs despite only a minority of the votes. They think that they can do that again. Unfortunately, well, I, I'd say fortunately, the country is the, the left has more variety in it now these days mm. and so the other parties will always get a significant amount of the share and because you're dealing with a first past the post system if you've got multiple parties on the left and essentially one party on the right the right is always going to be united which means that all the right wing votes will go into one party whereas the left wing votes will go smaller and so for example theoretically example I often use is if you've got 30% Labour, 30% Lib Dem and, 60, and 40% uh, Tory or 30% Green, 30% Labour, 40% Tory, if that repeats in every single constituency, you would have 100% of MPs being Tory despite 60% of the country voting left wing. Mm. Now, the, what, I, so what I'm saying about whether or not it's in Labour's interest is right now, based on the 2019 election, their votes kind of match their seats. So, that, so even if we had proportional representation, yeah. it wouldn't actually change much for them directly. What it would do is, it would mean that the other parties, the other smaller parties, they would essentially take seats away from the Tories. 
Now, that's because, as I said, the Tories have 40, 44% of the vote and 56% of the seats, whereas, for example, um, Greens, for example, they got 2.7% of the vote, but got 0.1% of the seats. So Tory votes count 18 times more than, than Green votes. And so if you were to transfer seats from the Tories to the Greens by, by making things equal, then essentially you're transferring power away from the Tories and towards parties that Labour can actually work with. Yeah. So, if you would, so if you did have a situation where all votes counted equally, then Labour would essentially be able to lead a progressive alliance consistently. And we know that they'd be able to do that because other than three elections, and that's the... 2015 election, the, 2000, the 1958 election and 1953 election, I believe. Three elections since the Second World War. The majority of this country has voted for Lib Dems, SNP, Lib, um, Labour or Greens. And prior to 1990, it was almost exclusive. It didn't even need the other two. It was just Labour and Lib Dems had the majority between them. And yet, for uh, 25 out of 78 of, of the Sorry, in only 25 out of 78 of the last um, last 78 years has the Tories not won. So in the majority of the time, the Tories have won, despite the majority of the time, majority voting for Lib, De- for Lib Dem, SNP, Green, Labour. Um, so it's actually in the in Labour's interest to support this, even though they're still thinking, eh, maybe if we just keep holding out, we'll get another Blair. Okay. Um, all I keep thinking to myself as I'm listening is, what about the people who are looking to vote? Perhaps, you know, maybe they voted for one of the bigger parties. Maybe they don't want to vote for the bigger parties anymore. What is going to encourage people to want to vote when they see this voting system and they feel like they may not be able to make a change? Um, maybe they feel like their vote is not going to make an impact. So, yeah. What would you say to these people? So, uh, suffice to say, my efforts to stop the uh, march of this government over the past few years have not been successful. Um, And so people ask me, but how do you find the energy to keep fighting? And my answer is, you either keep fighting or you accept that you're going to live under the Tories and everything that they plan and everything they stand for for the rest of your life. Those are your two choices. Yeah. And I find it unacceptable to, to live under the Tories permanently. As for how do we get out of it, um, as I said, there is hope there. There's a lot of hope. If the majority has been voting for parties to the left of the Tories in every election since the, since the Second World War, other than three, then we have a progressive voting country. Yeah. If that progressive vote was united behind um, specific parties and specific constituencies, we win. We win. Tories are gone and we can change the system. And it, and it only needs to happen in one election whereby every whereby the parties on the left essentially make a, a, coal, a, a an electoral pact whereby they stand down in each other's constituencies based on who came first in the last election. Um, and then you can basically consolidate the left-wing vote. And you only need to do that once and then you bring in proportional representation, you then make all votes count equally, and then our progressive voting country will consistently get progressive voting parliaments for the rest of time. That's what you need to do. So there is hope there, and the alternative is simply unacceptable. If we could use an example, so Femi, you spoke about how um, 
the left is a far more divided and so people who might want to vote for Lib Dem or Green might vote for um, Labour instead um, and so how would this work if we were to use the policing and um, mayoral system um, in the general election so if we use for example I want to vote for Green but I'm scared that I'm going to lose the left vote for example how would that work? Uh, well under under alternative vote, um, then you put uh, Green first, and then you put Labour second, um, because that would mean that if you're if the Green candidate comes first or second, then at least you've put that as your as your first choice. However, if the Green if the Greens don't make enough to be even in that in in in, in that top in that top running, then at least you make sure that your vote counts towards the party that you would prefer out of the two top parties. So in that case, it would probably likely to be Labour. Awesome. Absolutely. And I think that's 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 exactly why I prefer this system. I know there's also another system where um, you can vote for as many candidates as there are. Um, yeah, you, you have as many preferences as there are candidates. Um, and I think that's also a really interesting system. So let's say if there are five, I believe there's five in the upcoming election. Um, and and might be a few more. Um, there's more in the mayor, the London mayoral ones, but there's independent candidates as well. And so, with that, we would be able to vote for like all five. Do you think that system would work at all, or do you think that getting the uh, supplementary one in the first place um, it, it would be a better route? So you're heading towards um, uh, portion representation uh, there. Um, because proportional representation often works based on lists whereby each party will put forward a list of candidates and so you'll essentially vote for that list and the number of MPs for that party will be determined by their vote share and so essentially you're voting for a large list of people um, but you can only choose one party. Yeah, that's the one I was referring to, proportional representation. <laughs> I couldn't remember the name. I was like, it's the one where you have like as many people. But yeah, okay, interesting. But thank you, Femi, for talking to us about, of course, the voting systems currently used in the UK or has been used in the UK or just exist and what we're using anyway. Yeah. So everyone, please remember on May 6th, that is when we are going to see our mayoral elections and our police crime and commissioner elections. You can definitely check out information in regards to who is the candidates in your region. Um, take a look into them and see if they represent your views. And if they do, please, at the very least, get up and vote <laughs> because you'll be a part of you know, making the change, whatever they, that may be. Like Femi said, it's better to participate because the alternative is you can't really complain, can you? Um, just on a side note as well, if you choose not to vote, you don't want to vote, you can even spoil your ballot. And not that I would say do that, but at least you're partaking in something that still gets counted towards something. So even if that's your choice, do something, at least be counted. So, yes, first and foremost, let's just go for the juggler. What is your thoughts on the policing bill? It is a horrendous abuse of legislative power. Um, we have a government that has spent last... We have a minority government that is basically opposed by the majority of people. As, as I've said before, the majority of this country has voted for parties to the left of the Tories in every election but three since the Second World War. And we've seen a series of protests against this government, um, be it on... 
Brexit, be it on Black Lives Matter, be it on violence against women, and be it on climate change. And every time this happens, the Tories seem to have a problem with it and seem to oppose it in some way. And it, rather than fix the problems that we can all see resulting from those issues, what they've instead done is they're coming up with a law to essentially suppress protest. Now, protest is a one of the most basic rights, uh, human rights that we have. It's a civil right. It's in pretty much every human rights treaty and legislation in existence. And to silence it in this way is simply um, the act of an authoritarian, authoritarian regime. Now, what does the bill do? Um, it modifies the Public Order Act of 1986, um, and it adds powers to essentially give police the ability to shut down protests if they meet certain criteria. Well, it allows the police to basically put conditions on protests, say basically, hi, don't do this or don't do that. And if you do do this, then we can arrest you. Um, one of the conditions they're allowed to set is noise limits. Yeah. Now, even in the government's own guidance, it says that will be assessed by the highest ranking police officer on the scene. Now, what does it say in the in the guideline in the in the legisl in legislation? It says it basically it, it puts the power to control noise limits to the extent that that is noisy enough to have an impact on people nearby. Now, yeah. the way it defines impact is something that could cause those in the nearby area to feel serious unease. That's right. Now, that's extremely problematic yeah. because serious unease is utterly subjective. If I'm in Parliament and I'm drafting a law and that law, for example, might impinge on certain people's rights, it might um, make people poorer, it might diminish our world standing, it might be immoral, and there are people outside screaming, do not do this, this is bad for our country, and they're shouting, and I can hear them from inside Parliament because they're out in Parliament Square, and that makes me feel seriously uneasy. Yeah. This law would potentially allow me to essentially call the police on the protesters. That's right. The entire point of protest is to make those who are doing the wrong thing feel uneasy about doing so. If you put in a law that says that police can stop protests which make people feel uneasy through their noise, you are basically throwing away the card, throwing away the whole deck on democracy. Well, yeah. And let's just um, continue from what you were saying perhaps this person did call the police on some protesters nearby in which they feel seriously uneasy what's going to happen to those protesters because have you seen the sentence on that mm. yeah so um uh, the the sentencing that they have uh, uh, well with with statues it goes up to 10 years yeah um and it, the, the fact that you can risk going to jail for being noisy in a protest is is just authoritarian by its yeah. very nature. For protesting, um, essentially. It's not yeah. even about being noisy. It's just you protested, you're going to jail. If you caused unease. If you caused unease um, because your noise reached a level that, that makes other people feel, feel, feel unease. Yeah. Um, and the police can assess that completely subjectively. And it is the subjective element of it that's really, really troubling. Because yes. once law becomes subjective, once your ability to go to, to jail becomes subjective, you may as well disregard the rule of law. Because yep. it means that if that person, if, if the people in power decide, okay, maybe objective, maybe by his objective standards, it's, it's not against the law, but by my subjective, in my assessment, I think that you should go to jail. That's dangerous. That's incredibly dangerous. 
And I think for me, for me, the bit that really scares me is when you were talking about being objective um, is that we've already seen that um, abuse of police powers in stop and search and um, dispropor- disproportionately affecting minoritized ethnicities, but particularly black people. And so with that happening from their own kind of um, biases and racism, etc., now you're giving them more power to be able to determine whether something is or isn't a protest. Um, what's to say that they're not going to um, abuse that um, in the same way? Um, and I think one of the questions I wanted to ask is, do you think this is giving room for us to become a police state? And what and define what a police state is as well, if, if you could. Um, a concrete definition of a police state is, uh, isn't, isn't, isn't one I could, pro- I could properly define with any degree of authority but my understanding of a police state would be one whereby um the police have a very significant control on everything and now the problem with having a police state under the under the tories is they haven't got enough police they've been cutting police um uh, but they so they'd have to actually invest in police in order to have a police state um uh but they they, they, they clearly irony. want to, yeah i know i know um uh but the the, the other problem with it is by cutting by cutting police, you essentially reduce the manpower of police, which means you've got fewer police per people. And if you've got fewer police per people, it often requires them to use more excessive force in order to subdue somebody. And so that's why you get much more violent scenes rather than simply, all right, we've got them by the hands. We know that we've got we've got five people here. We don't need to actually do anything particularly violent because we can control the hands quite easily. However, if you've got one person versus one person, then that essentially is a fight. Yeah. Um, and so you get much, much worse outcomes if you haven't got enough police to handle situations. Um, uh, but yes, it is. It's it's. We have Pretty Patel who said that she wants criminals to feel terror. Now, yeah. the, the, when I bring this up, people will say, "But yes, but they're criminals." Hang on, you're the ones defining what a criminal is. Yeah. If you say that it's a criminal mm. act to be noisy. And you, you can't then say, but I'm only making criminals feel terror because you're the ones that define what, te- what, what criminals are is. Yeah. Um, mm. And if they define criminals subjectively, as, as this bill does, again, and it's, it's, again, on that subjective point, it means that people will then be scared to go to protests. Because, oh, I mean, yeah. if you think about it, if you're a... If you're a doctor, for example, who recently, uh, or a nurse, who recently took a, a real terms pay cut, they got a 1% pay rise, but inflation is like 2%, so that's a real terms pay cut. And you want to be noisy in your protest against that. But you also know that, hang on, if I'm noisy enough to actually have an effect on the people I'm trying to protest against, that might make them call the police on me and get me a criminal record. And if I get a criminal record, I can't practice medicine again. That's a horrendous situation to be in. And the Tories know exactly what they're doing by doing this. It is a means of intimidation. Definitely. Um, yes. Um, it, I can only talk on the behalf of, well, my interest, which is, of course, uh, how it could affect um, marginalised ethnicities. And I often see uh, protesting sometimes as that place where you go when you feel like you have no other choice. You go to the streets. And... What I'm very nervous about is, you know, when people get desperate, when people feel as if they have no other, the way I see it is push push a person against the wall. That's essentially what I see this bill doing for many people is you're pushing people who already felt kind of unheard, you know, 
up against the wall even more so because the last place it could have gone was onto the streets along with a bunch of other people who feel the same way they do and be heard and then hopefully catch some attention off the back of it but now I'm just thinking about the people with no uh, recourse to public funding those who may um, you know have certain legal statuses in which they feel um well, if they, they go to jail, they may be deported. This is all the type of implications that I'm thinking about when I think of this bill. So I want to know a little bit more about how does the bill affect you as an activist as well? Because, you know, how do you, I know how you feel about the bill, but as an activist, how do you think this would impact on people who are trying to do things as well? Um, so for activists in general, many of them will feel very, very worried about this because they'll have jobs that they need to maintain. They'll, they, they won't want to get a criminal record. Um, they'll, they'll have seen um, uh, the pictures of um, uh, Patsy, uh, I forget her last name, but the woman at the uh, Sarah Everard vigil who was thrown mm-hmm. to the ground by police officers um, for speaking at a vigil. Um, even though she had a mask on um, and she was outside. And that was crazy to me, by the way, because not only have you got um, a government that allowed people to enter shops during a pandemic without masks, without being questioned for the majority of that pandemic, Mm. um, which is a significantly more dangerous situation than being outside with a mask, and yet in one situation it's fine the other one you get tackled to the ground by a police officer um on top of that it was in response it was somebody who was literally protesting against violence against women um allegedly by a metropolitan police officer being tackled to the ground by a metropolitan police officer yeah and on the issue of violence against women specifically uh, that happens due to the disparity in physical strength between men and women so for a single man to therefore use that particular disparity to tackle a woman to the ground is even more disgusting and so yeah um this will make activism difficult because it will weed out anybody who feels uh, like their legal status is in question who feel they can't afford a criminal record um and on your point about um, giving the police more powers, if the police already have the power to tackle that woman to the ground, they don't need more. Yeah, and I think it's it's really interesting when you're talking about how um, we're kind of giving them even more, like we were talking about earlier about the stop and search kind of scenario we've already got. Yeah. I'm really interested in kind of how this could potentially break um, international law. You've had done a massive campaign on um, Brexit and and um, your stances against leaving the EU. We know that in the past, uh, for example, the internal market bill. Um, so for those who don't know what that is, it was a bill that I'm just going to read out what we put in our content. So it said the internal market bill would allow ministers to make regulations on state aid and custom procedures for trade with Northern Ireland. Um, this would allow ministers to make regulation against the um Brexit withdrawal agreement um, between Ireland and Britain. This breaks international law as the agreement states that UK Parliament must use national law to obey the agreement. And so um, we wouldn't necessarily be breaking the law until that gets enacted. Um, But we've seen more and more in recent years where this is a a potential and people have said that actually this is against our human rights to be able to protest and therefore against international law. And so do you think this was 
my question is being against international law or against human rights doesn't seem to have stopped us before do you think there will be a point where where we decide that this is enough like we've crossed a barrier or do you think we'll just continue down this road um do people th- have people had enough people have had enough and people have consistently had enough with the tories for um almost 100 years now because i said the majority have voted against them in every election other than three um so as far as the people having had enough that that level's already been been crossed as far as um that having had enough making an, making an impact in parliament that does require significant work to be done by the political parties in parliament and again it comes back to that issue of electoral reform because essentially the Tories can take a majority of the MPs with a minority of the votes under our current system so unless you get that situation where Labour commits to delivering electoral reform within 12 months therefore um, Lib Dems and Greens know that they can vote for Labour in one election just a one-off to get um, uh, Labour into power on the basis of fulfilling electoral reform then you can get all votes to actually matter and count equally and then you will have a progressive parliament reflected in the well a progressive people reflected in the progressive parliament and then you will start to see our rights be re- being returned to us um that is the way out uh, that is what happens um but it does require essentially it's all down to le- labor and whoever the, le- the leader at the time of the next election happens to be so we sat in on um, an event that was held online. It was by Sisters Uncut, of which they had a lawyer join them. And the lawyer did um, allude to say that it looks as if the bill may continue to go through the House of Parliament, right? Straight up into being acted on. And I started to wonder, okay, I'm not here to predict the future, nor am I manifesting it. Let me be very clear. I did wonder, okay, when if the police bill was supposed to be passed, how will the public take to it? Because we've seen before where a bill can pass, but it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone accept it and keep going about their merry way. We've just seen recently with, what is it, the European football, there was a protest that mm. came out off the back of that. That's a protest. And um, I do wonder to myself, What's the future of protesting after this? Do we think protestings will stop? Because things will continue to happen. What's going to happen to protest? I just wanted to ask as well, before you just answer that, I think there was a comment that I thought was really, a quote even, that I thought was really important. So Martin Luther King is um, obviously been uh, praised now um more so now than back then he had a 75% disapproval rate when he was um, alive but one of the quotes that I heard about last year and thought was quite relevant is that he said that riots are the words of the unheard yeah the language of the unheard and so I think that's really important when we're talking about protesting because whilst protesting and riots aren't the same thing a protest gone wrong can turn into a riot or stopping someone from protesting can lead to riots. So I want to ask you, uh, additionally, if people aren't allowed to protest, will there just be riots or do you think there'll just be protests? Um, so people will not stop protesting. Yes, you may get some people who are put off protesting because of the fear of criminal records, but people, but people will not stop protesting. Or people aren't just aren't like that. We've, had, we've tasted freedom, we're not going back. Um, and so the only way that they will be stopped is if the police intervene 
and that means you will start to see more and more uh, people versus police violence. We start we start to see that in in Bristol once the bill was announced. Uh, we will see more of that increasingly. So now the problem with that is, even though it is justified to resist under circumstances where your actions are out of a basic human right, i.e. the basic human rights to voice your concerns in public because you're because of a opposition to political pro, a political process. Even though it is right to resist under those circumstances, once you start to get in a situation where people are preemptively attacking police, once you start to get a situation where people are being violent, be, vandalizing, that starts to become counterproductive in the sense that the Tories do not respond to that with, oh, I guess, well, I see your point then. They respond to that by saying, oh, look, look at all these violent protesters. Um, therefore, we need to put in more powers to quash protest because that's, they've actually, in, the, in this bill we're seeing right now, the policing bill, they've actually, whilst defending it, cited previous protests. For example, they've cited the um, uh, protest, the Black Lives Matter protests last year, where there were some violent clashes. Now, that shows you that there was a direct line of not causation, but politics between um, acts of violence and further suppression. They will. We don't want to essentially give them their next election slogan, which will basically be, let, let, you've seen all these protests, let us restore law and order. We don't want that they will use that against us. Definitely. And I just wanted to bring you up on that, actually, because we have seen, I don't know if it's been confirmed by our current government as to the reasons for those particular clauses, you know, with silencing. And because I always did wonder, okay, why particularly that? Why particularly silence um, out of all the things you could do with protesting? And um, they, you know, it's been reported that it is due to um, extinction um is it extinction rebellion mm -hmm. and then of yeah. course the black yeah, lives matter protesting those are the two that have been mentioned uh, in the media when they've reported about the policing bill um that this might have been um i guess the the reaction to um so what do you think about that do you think it was in relation to these particular protests because why are you why silence <laughs> why silence as a clause and, and additionally, I think I want to ask, like, why is a is a government that's for the people then going against protest? So they'll go against Extinction Rebellion. I'll use them as an example, but they'll say they're also pro climate change. Can you be against one and for and for the other? And then Black Lives Matter, they're just against the movement. Can you be against the movement and then for racial justice? Yeah, because that's what we've seen, haven't we? We've seen lately that the current government has said um, that we should be seen <clears throat> as almost an example where the least racist out of all the uh, white-led uh, nations. So we should be seen as an example. But we're also trying to strive as being seen as the place for human rights, the example of human rights. And we're also working towards climate change and just being more green. And these are the protests that allegedly, because like I said, I'm not sure if they've confirmed it from themselves or is it just the media who said it. 
Black Lives Matter, which is about human rights, essentially, for black people. And everybody benefits from that, actually. And then you've got Extinction and Rebellion, which is, of course, about is it climate change and just yeah. taking care of the planet. So why silence, first of all? Um, because it, it is the act of uh, authoritarians, fascists, whatever word you want to use, to try and silence opposition, silence criticism, uh, avoid a situation where your opponents can be heard because that weakens you. Um, we saw that as far back as 2019 when Boris Johnson was being opposed by Parliament and so he literally shut the place down. Now, fortunately, the Supreme Court uh, to, um, declared that act unlawful, so the Parliament was able to open again. But that gave us a flavour of, of who he was before the, he even got had his big election victory. Um, in the uh, new free speech bill that they're working on, where they're going to have free speech champions essentially monitor uh, discussions in, in universities, one of the things that they actually cited as the reason why they need this is because they said that a survey was done that found that four out of ten people who support Brexit felt uncomfortable outing themselves for supporting uh, supporting Brexit in universities. Now, in a world where free speech is a thing, in a world where nobody is obliged to be your friend, especially if they feel that you've got uncomfortable views or damaging or dangerous views, it should not be a problem that needs fixing if people feel uncomfortable uh, outing themselves having these views. What we've got is a government that has delivered a Brexit that we can see, we know this now, we're watching it now, we've seen it since January, has shut down fishing businesses, that has pushed fishing business fish, fishermen to actually be on record as saying, I now fear for my home. Many of us have, have turned to alcohol. We've seen a 68% drop in trade. We've seen riots in Northern Ireland, and, and, and we've seen threats made against the port staff at an Irish sea border that didn't exist before Brexit. So of course people should feel uncomfortable about saying, hey, all that stuff that's happening now, I supported it. But rather than address those problems, rather than fix the problems that this, this party has created, instead, what they're trying to do is silence the critics of it. That tells you everything you need to know about what this party stands for. Rather than fix the problems they created, they want to shut you up about um, about the problems they the things they've done, and that's why you're seeing um, the efforts to silence protests, the efforts to silence um, silence universities, the efforts to shut down Parliament, the efforts to um, uh, the in. It was the equalities minister that said about uh, sometime, some point last year that it's illegal for teachers to teach um, that uh, white privilege is a fact. Yeah. Um, uh, even though your own government's website shows that black people are stopped and searched by police 10 times more than white people. So it is a fact. It's there documented. But we're not allowed to say that you're doing it. I think there's also uh, something else to be added on to that. Not only are, t are black people 10 times more likely to be stopped and searched, they're less likely to commit a crime than white people. And I think people miss that. They just think, well, if they're being, ten um, if they're being stopped and searched 10 times more, there must be some amount more that they're committing crime. And the reality is the opposite, actually. White people are more, more likely to commit a crime, um, but less likely to be stopped and searched. Is that in the UK, specific to the UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah in yeah. the UK. Yeah, uh, I believe the... it might be England and Wales. 
Her, Her Majesty's Inspector of the Constabulary of, of Firemen and, and Police, I believe that's the name of the whole, whole thing, um, yeah. they have data that shows that uh, black people are less likely to have drugs on them when stopped than white people, yet black people are stopped more. Mm. Yeah, that's it. All I'm um, going to say is when I was in university, I can... I can contest to that, okay? I can contest to I lived in Manchester and I've seen a lot of things going on. I never dip and dabbled in anything. I will make that very clear on record. But I've seen it and I can contest to that. <laughs> At least yeah, on no, campus. No, uni, I was going to say uni is rife. Yeah, um, universities are yeah. Uni's a whole experience. But um, I think just, just going back to the bill, yeah. um, what other elements? So we know about the kind of... Um, the, the police powers that are going to be increased. We know about the protest elements. Do you know of anything else in the bill that is uh, being um, kind of rejected at the moment by either the public, MPs or anyone else? So currently, trespass is a... Uh, so going on somebody else's land is a civil offence. So you can be sued for it. It means you can't go to jail. It's just a civil It's a civil, um, civil issue uh, rather than a criminal one. Uh this bill essentially changes that. Uh, the problem with that is travelers, gypsies, um, Roma, um, travel, travelers and gypsies, they um, essentially rely on, on, on that. And this bill would effectively criminalize them. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, it, and so it is, it is an aggressive move against a community that is already extremely um, marginalized. Um, and the police chiefs have themselves said, "No, we prefer this to remain a civil offence, um, but the but the bill would make it otherwise." So it is a blatantly discriminatory law in and of itself. And on top of that, I think one of the things that angers me the most about this entire bill is that it contains things in relation to sexual offences which are objectively good and necessary steps forward. But not only are they insufficient, for example, um, not enough in terms of making it easier to secure charges for rape, for example. Uh, Not only does it mention statues and the penalties for statues, but no mention of women uh, and and puts a 10-year um, sentence on defacing a statue while crimes while sentencing for rape starts at five years yep. not only that but it's the fact that it's in the same bill as the anti-protest stuff That's right. that angers me because if you put if you are going to put insufficient legislation for to protect women from sexual offences in the same bill as um an effective ban on freedom to protest, it means you don't care about either of those rights because you know that there are going to be people that are against the, um, the suppression of protest and you know there are going to be people that are against um, a, a sexual offences bill that doesn't really protect women as much as it should do. And you're basically saying, hey, if you don't support this, then you must hate women. It means you, it, it is it is 
blackmail in the worst possible way. Well, did you watch、um, as it was being debated? I watched bits of it, and that was quite pretty much everything you said is the argument, the back and forth between the members of parliament, such as okay, so you vote against this bill, you mean that you're voting against rights for women in this way and that way, was kind of some of the remarks in regards to those who decided to vote against.、Um, And it did make me think to myself: this bill really is kind of putting everything in a basket, isn't it? For those who are not、um, aware, it has to go through whatever house it was introduced. It's going to go through that, so it's House of Commons for this particular bill. It's going to go all the way through this, and then it's going to go through the House of Lords.、Um, whilst it's in the House of Commons, it can still, of course, have、uh, revisions, and you know, basically, it's where. Um, members of Parliament can say we want this revised and we want this changed, and that's kind of what happens. Do we think that the bill itself, the policing bill itself, should be completely taken off the table, scrapped, you know, discontinued, or do you think it has cause for reform where it could、um, have bits changed and then it'll be okay? What's your opinion on that? There's so much that needs to change.、Um, so you could you could start by removing the references to noise levels. And every, everything that subjectively suppresses protests, you could start by、uh, getting rid of the ten-year sentence for statues.、Um, uh, you could start by、uh, making um, gender, making um, misogyny a well, misogynistic, a specific hate crime、um, as an aggravating factor. But if you're if you're if it's gender-based violence,、um, there are things that can be done. But it's the fact that it's you've got the protest stuff and the sexual offences stuff in the same bill. The same thing. Yeah. So I, if you, if you if you're basically saying you have to suppress protest if you want to protect women, that is a horrible position, and that's why I think the bill as a whole should be scrapped. Yeah. I think it's also really worth noting that,、um, particularly in the last few years, but I'm not quite sure how many years it's been happening, but rape、um, convictions. Have lessened in the last few years,、yeah. and I think that's really important that we highlight that because if you really care about this, you're going to implement laws, you're going to make some systemic changes. But why are you then creating laws that are going to make some changes whilst also suppressing the right to protest? The right to protest is one of those rights that it underpins everything. Because if you lose the right to protest, then it means that absolutely everything else the government does. You can't speak out against it, and so if we if we lose that right, it, it, things go from bad to worse very quickly. I mean, if you look at all of the repressive regimes in the world, they all have one thing in common: protesters go to jail, and that's the path that we're heading down. I find it really, really ironic that there are probably going to be people who are in Hong Kong right now who have been chased by police for the past year or so. Who've just been granted a right to fly to the UK? And oh, hey, welcome here, jail for you. Honestly, Femi, there, so what I understand is there's been a whole visa created for this particular scenario、um, for people to come here, you know, to flee because, of course, protesting is not okay apparently、um, over in China.、Um, With that, we're 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 looking to be the safe haven to some extent to bring them over and say, "Hey, it's okay, come here, we'll we'll help you." I don't understand because I had this conversation as well in regards to the NSARS 
um, protest and I was thinking about it that there was no uh, um, kind of like urgency to help in that regard um, where we saw well what we saw was protesters dying and um, we also saw that reports of um, lights being cut out as well and you know they were kind of being held in certain areas um, and we I mean the world saw footage on the internet that popped up on our streams in regards to that and I didn't really see the urgency there I saw the urgency um, lately I just wondered what's going on because the message is very messy in regards to protesting for your rights and having your your voices heard and what we are happy to support what we're not happy to support as a nation I wonder what's your thoughts on that in regards to protesting internationally and the response we've had to people in you know Hong Kong um, the people here in the UK and then people in um, you know in Nigeria there's just a different response to protest yeah um, I think uh The UK wants to make strategic allies, and so its response to who it will condemn will vary significantly. For example, you you honestly can't, you just can't, with any sort of integrity, condemn the suppression of protest in in uh, in Hong Kong, whilst also very much supporting the the regime in Saudi Arabia. You can't. Um, it, it is hypocrisy. Now, I'm not saying I'm not. I'm saying it's good. it's obviously good that we are condemning what's happening in Hong Kong, but we know what it's about if they're willing to keep supplying weapons to Saudi Arabia um, and keep. Well, we literally trained the police in Bahrain here in Sandring Sandringham Military Academy. Sent them back to Bahrain, where they then arrest um, human rights defenders. So, as far as are we on the right side in terms of international protest? Clearly not. Um, but we get a lot of oil from our relationships with the Gulf states, um, and we want to make we want we want uh, Hong Kong to be a, a good strategic partner, and we have inter- international commitments there. So yeah, and also I think uh, uh, this government also wants to make connections with um, the Nigerian government, especially with the post Brexit. Um, so it's all going to be dependent on political moves. Who can they afford to condemn? Who can they not afford to condemn? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because uh, China's like lashed out at BBC, haven't they? And and there's been that whole kind of kind of uh, tug and war between uh, England and China in particular. So anyone who doesn't really know what's happening in China in terms of the protest, um, Hong Kong was like in control by the UK for a number of years, and then uh, we gave it over uh, in the contract. I think it was like 99 or 100 years in the contract. We were to give it back to China, at which point China would agree to allow them to have certain um, uh, abilities to kind of protest and etc. and things that wouldn't happen in mainland China. And so there there was an understanding that that would happen. Um, that's not happened in recent years in particular. And so that's where um, the UK and England were asked to kind of get involved and do something about it. And that's where um, in the latter part of last year, the UK decided to allow those who are residents of, the, of Hong Kong and their family to have um, a visa to live in the UK. So, yeah. I guess we'll just continue to watch what's going on with the policing bill. I repeat, it is still being debated at this moment in the House of Commons. We're not too sure when 
is it the third reading or before the third reading it's the oh goodness i'm gonna have to look at our own content at this point <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the committee stage so i think the deadline for submission to the committee for because you can actually give your input to it is the 14th of uh uh of of may and Amazing. um i'm going to be i'm working on a project with the guilty feminist um uh in relation to this bill uh, and the slogan that I um, think we'll be using is speak now or forever fear of police. I love it. And we will repeat that. Speak now or forever fear the police. You've, you've heard it from Femi. So is that a hashtag? Can we follow it and see the conversation? Uh, well, that, the, the hashtag will be noise and annoying. Hashtag noise and annoying because annoyance is one of the other things mentioned in the bill. Okay, noisy and annoying. Got it. We'll definitely share that um, on our platform as well, just so people can follow that and, and so on. But thank you so much, Femi, for, of yeah. course, talking to us about um, the policing bill and just helping us to understand it more kind of on an international and national scale is kind of where we went with it. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, thank you for having me. And that's it for Conversations in Society yeah, this episode. Stay tuned for the next episode. Um, we won't tell you what that will be yet, but yeah, stay tuned. <laughs>